Hello, everyone. I'm Kyle Draper. In December, Brian Scalabrini sat down with Paul Pierce ahead of his final trip to the Garden as a player. That interview is featured as part of a half-hour television special, The Whole Truth, Paul Pierce, presented by Nissan. The conversation lasted nearly an hour, diving into his start with the Celtics, the down years, the Big Three era, and what he wants to do when he retires after this season. We present the entire interview to you in this podcast. Enjoy. Pre-draft workouts in Kansas, and you're like, all right, I'm coming out to the draft. Was your range anywhere from 1 to 14, or you sort of had an idea of where you're going to be picked? Uh, I was supposedly picked between one, between two and five. Okay. Or in a possibility with one. I only worked out for the top five teams at the time. And then right before the draft, you know, pretty much most of the lottery guys in the top five, six, seven, eight, know where they get slotted. Uh-huh. So about a week before, it was saying that I was going to go to Vancouver, <clears throat> which is Memphis now, um, Vancouver Grizzlies. The draft was in Vancouver. And so I, that which had the number two pick. And so I just thought it was pretty much sealed deal that I was going to play in Vancouver. They had a young player in Sharif Abdul-Rahim that played the power forward. I was going to come be slotted in at the small forward position and just kind of formed a young dynamic uh, forward duo up there. And, you know, I had, I had a good relationship with him already, so I would talk to him all the time. We both had the same agent. So uh, I thought that's where I was going to be. You know, even though a lot of guys didn't want to play there, it was just like I was just happy just being drafted. You know, and I didn't really matter where I was going. Did you work out for Boston? Never worked out for Boston. Or did I mean was like the, the Patino thing even on your radar? Not even on my radar. You know, the funny thing about it, me and Chauncey Billups, really good relationship. We talked in college. I remember me and him, like when we were freshmen, we were like, man, we're gonna come out together when it's time to go. So like freshmen, we both had freshman good year. Sophomore, he just took off. You know, I was still developing. He was like, Paul, I'm, I'm going to the draft. And I was like, you know, I'm not ready. You know, I, I'm going to wait one more year. He gets drafted to Boston. And I just remember him in Boston. You know, I was still in college. I'm still talking to him. He was like, man, this is the hardest thing ever. I'm like, what? He was talking to me in training camp. He was like, man, we got about six, seven guys that had to have IVs from training camp. I was like, is that hard? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it was unbelievable. So the following year, you know, I get drafted to Boston. I'm like, what? All I'm thinking about is, dang, I'm going to get put on an IV in training camp. I'm like, this is about to be hell. <laughs> That's all I can think about. This is going to be hard, just as hard as college. Yeah. And so... Um, that's the funny part, that just thinking about that and playing for Patino and, you know, not even working out for Boston. Just how ironic it was for a kid who never liked Boston, grew up a Laker fan, yeah. to get drafted by the Boston Celtics. Just never in my wildest dreams think I would slide that far. Mixed signals when you finally did get drafted? Like Boston when you loved the Lakers? Um, I think I was more disappointed in my draft position. Uh-huh more so than, you know, Boston. You know, I'm happy, I'm fortunate, I'm blessed to just get drafted, be in the lottery. I was more upset at where I went uh, as a 10th pick than just being Boston. And then they kicked in that it's Boston, IVs, Patino, yeah. oh, I hate Boston. Then all the other emotions kicked in. <laughs> but it was like, you know, make the most of this opportunity. I'm here now, uh, this is it. Are you motivated? Like, how long did that motivation last? I know, like, People get motivated by different things. How long did being the 10th pick in the draft, did that motivate you? 
motivated me for a while being a 10th pick. Uh, I had to say my first three or four years uh, until I started seeing coaches get fired. That was like the gratification. <laughs> <laughs> I coach, started, you drafted right. Me. <laughs> it was like the coaches get fired or that player that they drafted get traded. It was like that was kind of like gratification for me. Yeah. Uh, when when those things happened, when those those teams didn't pick me, the, the teams that were ahead in the first nine picks. Yeah. Now you're in the league, you start establishing yourself. You know, it's always hard early, but in 2001, you, you established yourself as a big-time scorer in the league. Like, what was that like? Or how did, you know, first there's the draft and, hey, I made it. Then it was like, I want to be successful. When you started hitting your stride, what was that like? Was that like a dream come true? I think uh, I've always been a confident player, and I always had goals. And it was just like, as I played well, my confidence just grew and, and just grew and just grew. It was just like as I saw myself getting better, my workouts got harder in the summer. I used different motivation. I saw, you know, I wanted to be an all-star. And it was like looking at the guys ahead of me, I want to be better than them. And it was just my hunger to get better. My competitive drive just just drove me just to continue to get better. And it was just like, I was really upset that I didn't make the all-star team my third year. I know that sounds funny. A lot of guys don't make it their third year, but I was, I was truly upset because I thought my third year in the league, I could make the jump to an all-star. And then I thought I got snubbed. So I remember flying back to LA for that weekend, not talking to anybody. I didn't visit my mom or anything. And I sat in the hotel. I got a hotel and everything and just watched the all-star game, like pissed. It was in DC. I remember it like yesterday. It was in DC and I was like, next year, I just watched it. I was like, next year I'm gonna be in that game. And, uh, and that's just, I just used it for motivation, man. It was just like, I stayed, I stayed mad. You know, I just used different things that just, it was just any little thing pissed me off if I didn't accomplish it and it drove me to work harder. Yeah, so is that, did that continue on? So first it was the, the draft pick, then it was the snub, then it was can't win, not going to the No, finals. then it was like Jordan's coming back. <laughs> it was like, oh man, Jordan's coming back. I need to step up my workouts. Because <laughs> we see him as like untouchable no matter what, right? Exactly. 40, 45, it, matter, it was like, okay, he'll make the all-star team. Oh, Jordan's back. Oh man, I got to step it up even more now. This is the player who I idolize, who the greatest in my eyes, the greatest player ever, ever play. You know what? I'm going from working out twice a day. Now I got to work out three times a day. I got to get up at six, go back at noon and then go back at night <laughs> I got to be ready when you when OB finally took over and you guys started really hitting your stride in 2001 2002 season you know that was all new to you or totally expected from your confidence um you, you know you really don't know what to expect as you go into each season you just know you have goals and you know what you want to accomplish individually you don't know how it's going to play out as a team, you know, but, you know, I knew we had a young blossoming team and we knew we were getting better. Um, and it's just, I felt like the better I got, um, the better our team got. And, you know, we didn't know we would make the playoffs, you know, but it was just like, once the season got on, we got to a point where we were over 500 midway through the season. We're like, you know, we're going to make the, we're going to make the playoffs, fellas. And I just think as you see success, your confidence grows. And you feed off of that. And that was what that team was. We was like, once we got to the playoffs, you know, we see the Philadelphia 76ers first round, Eastern Conference champs. They coming off the uh, a finals appearance. AI is pretty much 
the two guard in the league, him and Kobe, you know, and it's like, you know, we beat them. It was like, oh, man, we could probably go to the finals. <laughs> and it was just like stuff, that first time when stuff happens, you don't know it's going to happen. you just kind of enjoying the ride. And, you know, we ended up in the Eastern Conference Finals, and so a New Jersey team that we beat, like, handily during the season. So I'm thinking, like, looking ahead, like, it's a chance we can go to the finals. And it was just like, you know, as deeper you go in the playoffs, it was just like, my confidence just grew as a player. You know, I, I think I'm like, now I'm like, I'm one of the best players in the league. Like, that's where I was just like, I, I, I'm here. I, w- I want to go back to that jersey. December 1st, you were you were bricking in the first half, one for 16, uh-huh. and you just go on an absolute tear in the second half. So, going into halftime, what was the mindset? Well, honestly, I, I, um, the mindset... I remember that game like yesterday, and it was just like, I remember, you know, you have games where you miss shots, and you're like, you know, all right, I need to do something else. <laughs> I need to rebound better. I need to pass. But that game was odd because it was like every shot I felt like I missed, you know, sometimes, you know, you shoot, and it just feels good, and it don't go in. You're like, I'm like, man, then a lot of shots rattle in and out, and I'm like, hold on, man. This, like, you know when a shot, you know how sometimes you shoot, and you know before it goes in that it's going in. I felt like out of the, the 12 shots I missed, I like seven or eight of them was going in, but they missed. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with my shot. You know, there's, these shots are gonna fall. You know, I didn't feel like a bad touch. I felt like my touch was on, these shots were just missing. So I was just like, I didn't, I, I didn't think about them, them missing because it all felt good, you know? So I just, I kept shooting. And then I hardly missed the second half. And, um, and that was the feeling going in halftime, like, man, these shots are going to fall. It, ain't, it wasn't like I felt bad about the shots. Because I've had games where I feel bad, okay, you know, my shot feels off. But they didn't feel off at all. Now, how, how do you keep that relentless pursuit to, to drive the ball? You had 18 free throws on the second half. And, you, I mean, you literally, I mean, I was there. You fouled out three New Jersey Nets, guys at the rim. It was like literally not just making shots. They could not stop you off the bounce. I think that's a, a personality trait. <laughs> you know, a lot of guys you see that so talented, you're like, why doesn't he just go to the rim? Why yeah. doesn't he just go to the rim? I think that's something that has to do with your personality. You know, you have to be a guy who's willing to, to take contact, a guy who's not afraid to do it. And, you know, you just have that, have that, have that relentless type of attitude. And that's what I had on the court. Yeah. Did, did, what happened during the uh, game three? down 21, Antoine just lays into you, and you come out just once again. <laughs> <laughs> Same old story, you torching the nets. You know, that's just, like I said, an attitude. You know, the, 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 I think the difference today, when I look back at games like that, when a player gets into another player, you know, a lot of guys take it personal, it seems like, with this error. And it was just like, I took it as a challenge. It was just like, all right, you know, I want to win, he wants to win. That's how I look at it. You know, he's not, it's not a personal beef with me. It's not, he doesn't have, it's just he wants to win. And I felt that. It was like, you know, you, you're absolutely right. I do need to play better. And I took that challenge to play better, and it helped our team to go overcome that deficit and win the game. And then what ensued after that? You know, it was, that was a tough series for us. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I always say that Jason Kidd was, was probably one of the top two or three guys players that I've ever played against. Um, 
I believe he averaged like a triple-double in that series, and it was just like unbelievable. The guy has eyes behind his back. He makes his players better. It was just like I just knew after that win we would probably go to the finals to see the Lakers. And Jason Kidd, he, you know, he just kind of like crushes your will. And uh, I haven't seen a player like that in a long time. Now, with that team, you're so close to going to the finals. And then in the ensuing years, you know, just like step after step kind of goes the other way. Did you feel like you're, you're never going to get back to the finals? Like going, the team's going a different direction? Because you had hard-nosed, tough-minded guys around you. And then you went to a more, you know, a lot of young, talented guys, but young. Was that, was that difficult? That was very difficult because when you taste success, it's like you want more. So you figure a young team who just coming off an Eastern Conference Finals appearance, the next step is getting to the finals. And then the next step is winning the championship. So uh, I just felt like we were taking steps backwards. We started making trades, uh, getting younger. And it was just like, you know, when you get a team like that, I felt like that you're supposed to build on that. You know, but I guess, you know, management has their own agenda. Uh, you know, they control the payroll. They control, they control who, what type of talent they want. And uh, they see it differently than you as a competitor. And uh, so it, it, that was frustrating for me. You know, that was frustrating as, as the years went on that we started losing talent and, and getting younger and then losing more games. And whereas I wanted to move forward and have a possibility at a championship because, you know, it's certain franchises in the NBA – you know, baseball, football that you look at and be like, you know, these these franchises are top-notch franchises and they play for championships. Boston is one of those franchises when you look at, you know, Los Angeles Lakers, when you look at New York Yankees. These are franchises that want to win championships. And, you know, that's how I looked at Boston. And they were just like, you know, what's going on? Let's go for a championship right now. And, and that, that was what, that's what made it even more frustrating. Was it rock bottom after the, the bad season and then you don't get the high pick? Before all the trades, the bounce of the ball, next thing you know, you're picking fifth and you're looking at, like, how, how are we going to, how's this going to help me? Yeah, that, that probably was the bottom of the barrel <laughs> right there. I remember watching the draft and when we didn't get the number one pick, I just knew I was getting traded. You know, I was just like, well, you know, that's my last uh, time in Boston. Um, you know, I was really gearing up for a trade because it was just like, all right, you know, the number one pick, whether it be Kevin Durant, I felt it should have been Kevin Durant. Oh, they were talking about at the time, but it was just like, you know, we could probably have a future. We get one of those guys, you know, maybe I'll be around, you know, it's something positive. But when we didn't get it, I was like, there was nobody I saw after the first two picks that can help this franchise right away. So it was just like, you know, they're probably going to get this another young player who they can build around, keep the young talent that's already there, and, and trade me for some more young pieces. And so that was my whole thought right there when I saw the fifth pick and the ball didn't bounce our way. When we did get the first pick and I thought I would get traded, like I, I told my agent I was trying to get to Dallas. You know, I, I wanted to be in Dallas because I didn't think the Celtics would want me anymore. They were going to rebuild. I felt like, you know, Dallas, I think, just lost in the finals to Miami a couple years before, two or three years. They were like a perennial 50-game, 60-game contender. I just felt like I was that piece can, that can help them get over the hump. And I, and I thought, you know, 
that I can be that piece. So it was like, if I'm going to be heading out of here, you know, if you guys going to trade me, then, you know, Dallas will be a destination. You know, hopefully we can work something out. But, uh, you know, Danny had full confidence in me. You know, he wanted to build with me. And uh, I, I thank him for that, you know. Did, did he, balls bounce, fifth pick, Paul, we're going to do something with this pick. Or did that take some time? Um, man, I can't quite remember, but uh, um, I think it was like a week later. They were, I don't remember when it happened, the trade happened, but it was just like, you know, we're going to trade the pick. You know, I, I wanted them to trade the pick, but I didn't know, you know, what they thought process was. You know, I was in California at the time uh, of the draft. I remember watching it with a group of people, um, you know, so I didn't really know what was going through their mind. And did, did Ray Allen move the needle or you knew there was more to come? Um, I thought Ray really moved the needle. It was just like when you bring in a guy who's close to my age and it was just like, all right, they made a trade for Ray. And it was just like, okay, we're trying to, we're trying to win then. <laughs> and then, you know, we made a trade. Uh, you know, I was on the phone. I was talking to Danny. I knew there was something else happening. You know, we were talking. All the talk was about Kevin. It's like we're trying to get Kevin. And uh, I remember that Minnesota wanted to do the deal, but it was all up to Kevin, I believe, at the time. You know, he, he had to um, okay the trade. They wouldn't have just traded him without getting his okay because he was loyal to Minnesota for so many years, and they wouldn't do a franchise player like that. So it was like the trade was already, I think, was on the table, and I was like, man, there's a chance we get Kevin. We already got Ray. If we get Kevin, man, we got something. We, we, we serious. But once we got Ray, I knew we were serious anyway about moving forward and trying to, you know, build this thing with me part being part of it. So get Kevin, we go to Rome. You know, like I, I didn't know that how good we were going to be. Did you know right away? Could you tell like in practice in, in Rome or just did it take time? I think, man, uh, I kind of saw it like in September, man. Before we went to Rome, we were playing those pickup games. It was just like, <laughs> I remember the first day, I mean, I knew it blew everybody's mind. The young guys was like, what? I was like, I remember the first pickup game. I was like, you know, all right, this was the teams is going to be. I was like, okay, it's going to be. Usually in the, in the preseason when you play pickup, you kind of mix the teams up. But I was like, man, forget all that. All right, guys, it's going to be me, Kevin, Ray. And everybody was like, what? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> okay, uh, Perk and Rondo. It was like, oh, we just going to stack the teams? I was like, hey, we got to get this thing right right away. Hey, this is what the lineup going to be, so we might as well start working on it. And uh, that was so funny, guys. It was just how, kind of how they was looking around like, no, nah, that's, not, that's not fair. And, uh, and you, you kind of saw it right there in those pickup games. And then it kind of carried over to training camp. And then once... We started going through training camp. It was just like, man, we got something special here. <laughs> so you knew right from the jump, not sometime during the season. You knew, in, I mean, from the I mean, jump. From the jump, you felt it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you felt how the practices were going. It was like a whole new level of practice. It was a whole new level of competition. Everybody was hungry. You know, Kevin raises the bar. I mean, when you get Kevin on the court, who guy whose intensity who's, is through the roof, who... It raises everybody else's uh, competitive nature. And we had a very competitive nature team. I mean, even the young guys, when you look now, I mean, Perk, Rondo, Tony Allen, Big Baby, Leon Poe, James Posey, 
Eddie House. It was just like, man, this is my, this is the most competitive group I've ever been around. I thought I was competitive, and I'm seeing all these guys like we all playing at the same level. Like, man, this is unbelievable. Yeah, and not only just on the court, off the court yeah, as well. The court. It was nonstop. <laughs> yeah, you, like after you left that, it, it was hard to replicate that. I remember when I left to Chicago, it was like I, it was nothing. There was nothing like that team and the and the and the egos and the camaraderie and the competitiveness. I mean, we competed at everything. The thing about that team is when you get those type of egos and competitive nature guys around, you thought there would be a lot of clashing, but it, it wasn't. That's the crazy part, that it wasn't a lot of clashing. It was more respect. And even when there was like little clashes on the court or even in practice, it was just like guys solved it and moved on from it. And that's, that showed the kind of like the professionalism of it also. Yeah, I always felt that that team never held anything back. Like most teams in the NBA, they don't want to say something. Oh, that guy's not passing me the ball. They tell somebody else. That team all was out all the time. All the time. And guys had to take it. Yeah. You know, that's the good thing about it. Some guys don't like to take it. You know, you, you tell a player about themselves or, or what's good for the team. But the, good, the end of the day, I, thought, I, I truly believe everybody wanted to win. I mean, Kevin just came off. A season where he didn't make the playoffs. Ray, same thing. Me, same thing. We come off losing teams the year before, like probably two years straight before that. All of us. And it's like, man, we just want to win at the end of the day. We're at the point in our career, we're 10, 11, 12 years in. We haven't gone deep in the playoffs in such a long time. We just want to win. And so that's why it was easier for guys to take criticism and move on from it. What was the Atlanta series like for you? Um... The Atlanta series was very frustrating because it was just like we blow them out at home, then we lose on the road. It was just like that was kind of that was kind of like the first test because I don't think we really were tested during the season. We lost some games that we was like, all right, we should have won, but we were kind of like coasting through the season. We were blowing teams out. We were sitting on the fourth quarter dancing to Geno. It was a lot of that, and it was just like. Um, and the games we did lost were close games. And so it's like, damn, we, we felt like Atlanta, you the number one seed. We supposed to blow them out. We supposed to sweep them. Then we lose first game in Atlanta. It's like, all right, we get it together, win game four. Then we lose game four. It's like, man, what's going on? <laughs> we supposed to sweep them. Now we got a series. It's 2-2. Two, two. Then we come back home, blow them out. And then we go back to Atlanta, they win. We like, man, this is crazy. Why are we not blowing this team so, out? So game seven... No, not nervous. I think everyone was on edge but you. <laughs> but I don't know if you showed it or not, but I felt like Kevin was on edge, Ray was a little bit on edge, but you weren't on edge. I, I, I mean, I thought, you know, we, we just played so well at home that it would be tough for us to lose a game seven at home. It was like, man, come on, man. We, we know we messed up on the road, but we're going to take care of business. That's what I felt once we came home. I was comfortable in the garden. Yeah, the jungle. Uh, Cavs series, the, the Game 7 matchup, you and LeBron. Man, that's, I think, man, I think we just, man, all I remember is after the game, just rushing home. Like, I, I think I just had an outer body experience, man, seriously, because I just remember I got like about 25 to 50 texts or something. Like, oh my God, that was an unbelievable game. I'm just sitting there like, 
not really phased by it. Like, I, you know, I feel like, you know, we supposed to win this game. And it was like, no, nah, how you play? And I was just like, I felt like I was supposed to play that way. And it was just like, when I actually watched the game, I was like, you know, I, man, I was pretty on right there. I was pretty on. But it, I was like numb. And I think that's just probably because I was in a zone. And it was just like, I was in a zone, like, for like a couple hours after the game still. I was like kind of locked in. I wasn't really too joyous about it. Because at the same time, I was like, why are we going seven games, these teams that we were whooping during the season? And so, it, I mean, it was more stressful than anything. But, you know, I think playing against LeBron just raises the, my level of play. It's always been that way for us. I mean, a lot of people don't even know a lot of the games me and him had against each other that weren't playoffs, that weren't of this magnitude. You know, my career high 50 points was against LeBron. You know, a lot of people don't even know that. You know, so we've had our battles. It just this one was on a different stage at a different moment that made it bigger than, you know, our other battles. Now, um, in the Detroit series, we lost the home games. And this, I have a follow-up with this, but were you worried at all? Uh, I was a little worried, you know, when we lost to Detroit, once we got to the conference finals, because we haven't lost at home all playoffs. And uh, Detroit championship team, championship experience. And, you know, it was just like, we were confident against them because like I said, during the regular season, we won the series versus them. So it was just like, man, and we haven't won. The other thing is we haven't lost at home, but at the same time, we haven't won on the road in the playoffs. So we were like 0-4 on the road or 0-6 on the road in the playoffs. So it was just like, whoa. So I think that really put a sense of urgency in our team. Like, all right, man, let's 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 turn this thing up. Let's turn this around. We got to start playing better on the road. We know we're not going to lose too many games at home in the playoffs, but we need to be better on the road. And then, then we were able to get that game back on the road. And then I think we wind up, um, we beat them twice in Detroit. So then we got two road wins in one series. And, uh, you know, that kind of like, gave us more confidence to win on the road because we felt like if we got to the finals, we were probably going to have to win the road game again. The, uh, how scared were you when you went down with the injury in the finals? I was pretty scared because I twisted my, uh, when I went down, I landed kind of like, my knee kind of buckled, it kind of like hyperextended and it just kind of like, I felt a pop in my knee and I knew it was something because when I bent it, it felt funny. It had like a clicking noise to it. But I knew it wasn't uh, that bad once I had put weight on it. But the crazy thing about it, and you know, everybody, you know, mostly LA fans talk yeah. about the wheelchair and all that. I wasn't the one that asked for the wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say get me a wheelchair. <laughs> you know, I'm always one to get up, test it out. That's why if you look, I, when I got in the hallway, I was like, let me stand up. Let me just see how it feels. It was just like, I haven't even got a chance to put no weight on it. You know, everybody was being all extra cautious about it, which I understand. You know, everybody's doing their job, the doctors, the trainers. But, uh, you know, I'm glad I can provide memories yeah. for for fans years from now because of the wheelchair. Yeah, that's that's like the crying Jordan meme. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> if um, did you think like when that happened, you were thinking like, man, I got all this weight. We're about to win it, and no. this is that was like was that going through your head? Yeah, oh, definitely. When I when I went down, it was like I can't believe this is happening right now. 
And uh, why couldn't I get injured in the middle of the season, come back? But it was like it waits to the finals. And I'm like, man, I, I can't believe this right now. That was going through my head. It was all kind of stuff. Just like I can't believe this right now. This can't be happening. This is like a nightmare. You know, I hope it, it, it's, it's, I'm going to be all right. You know, I'm going to be all right. I'm just telling myself I'm going to be all right. Um, and so I think a lot of that had to do with if I could put weight on it, if, you know, my will was going to carry me through it. You know, regardless of if it was sprained or not sprained or uh, what it ended up being was a sprain of the MCL. So, you know, if I felt like I could put a little weight on it, I was going to push through. You know, this is it. You only got a few games left. I'm going to push through. Now, like uh, being an L.A. kid, playing for the Celtics, match up against the Lakers. I mean, that that's a dream come true. I mean, even though I was a Laker fan, I'm a Celtic now. But then, if I can win a championship against the Lakers, uh, that's a dream come true. I mean, that's storybook for me, you know, against against a rival, against a team I loved growing up. Now I hate them because I'm a Celtic. I mean, that's that's all I can ever ask for as far as when when I win a championship to do it against the hometown team I grew up watching. How great was Game Six? I mean, game six was so gratifying and just the fashion we did it in. It was just like, you know, it was pretty much over by the half. I mean, we felt like, you know, you go up 20 in the garden, there's no coming back. <laughs> you know, we were that good at home uh, and we knew it. Once we got to halftime, it was just like, all right, let's make one more run in the third just to ensure this. I mean, but then you got to understand who's on the other side. This is not your any old average everyday superstar. <laughs> you know, this is this is Kobe Bryant now. So if anybody's capable of willing this team back, it's him. So don't get too comfortable with this league. So, uh, you know, that's what made us come out even harder in the third and the fourth to kind of put this game away. The ring ceremony, you know, the big speech raised in the banner, you know, you, know, you really went full circle with the organization. How, you know, like, what was that like? And, uh, you know, did you know it was going to be that emotional? Um, you know, I, I, I didn't know how emotional I would be. But, you know, when, it, when you finally saw it, you just saw your accomplishment. It happened. The confetti came down after the game and the trophy was raised. But then when you saw that banner, you're like, whoa, you put one up now. Because it's like, man, for 10 straight years, I walk into this building. That's all I see. Tired numbers, all these banners these players put up. Now you raising a banner. It was just like, whoa. All the hard work, all the ups and downs you've been through with this organization, the nearly getting traded, just the criticism, uh, I mean, everything. You know, the, the like I said then, all the blood, sweat, and tears. It was just like, when you win a championship in NBA, you think about that first day you picked up a ball and then that first dream you had of being an NBA player. It was all for that. You know, it was all for that. You know, that's all I thought about when I picked up a basketball and used to watch NBA games. Like, man, I want to be in the NBA. Man, I want to win an NBA championship. I'm going to go to the park. I'm going to go to the, to, the, to the gym. And then to finally do it, to accomplish your dream, you know, a lot of people don't get a chance to accomplish their dream. We all have dreams, and a lot of us don't accomplish them. For me to be able to accomplish my dream was just like, Unbelievable, and, and that's what brought out all the emotion, just all the hard work I put in over the years, just for that moment right there. Uh, disappointed because of various things, D didn't win more than one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get disappointed. You know, I still think about that that game seven that we lost in LA. You know, um, that's a tough one. I still haven't even watched that game. <laughs> 
it was just like, man, but it, it, it replays in the back of my mind. I can see it clearly. I, like, I don't have to, like, replay it or watch it over because I, I was in it and I, I know exactly what happened. But uh, that one stings the most. You know, that one stings. You know, when you could have had one more. And, and possibly another, you think about if Kevin doesn't get hurt the following year. You know, we, we could have probably won three championships, but it's all, you know, what ifs now. But, you know, I'm happy with the one I was able to, to put up in Boston and uh, knowing that we probably could have had more. So happier that you won in 2008 or more disappointed that you lost in 10? What, what, oh, man. what like, defies, defines you and, and drives you maybe after that? I think I'm more disappointed at the loss because I've always used um, difficult situations to motivate me. Like not being able to accomplish something kept me is what kept me is what drove me is what kept me going. Not being the number one or two pick drove me, you know, not win another championship in 010 just drove me just like, man, I, I'm going to get another one like that, that hurt. I feel that one, you know, it's just I think that's just my genetic makeup, man. That's just who I am. You know, I, I can't say I'm more happy. To win, I mean, of course, I'm happy to win a championship, but I'm more upset that I didn't win another, <laughs> and that's just that's just who I am. Uh, the the stabbing incident. How much did that change you, and how much did that motivate you day in and day out? Um, I think it uh, the stabbing incident really changed me more as a person. Um, you know, it, it really opened my eyes to how valuable life was and how fortunate I am to be in a position I am and. It was just like, I looked at it as a second chance. You know, now it's like, you know, man, I'm an accomplished basketball player. You know, everybody wants to be in my shoes. I think about my family, you know, my moms and my brothers and aunties and uncles who, you know, who's my support team, who, you know, are really happy for me. And it could have been all over with. And I just imagine, I picture how sad they would have been if my life had ended. And it was just like, man, I don't want to even put myself in these situations some more. So it matured me, you know, not to go into different places where the possibility of something bad happening to me because I have too many people that uh, I care for, too many people that care for me. And uh, I just helped me be more responsible. And it just really helped me, I think, become a better basketball player because now it was just totally my focus was just completely on basketball now. And uh, I think that just made me a better player. This is, a, this is my question. I, when, a, you know, in the NBA now, you watch, if a possession starts bad, it usually ends bad. You have this unique ability as ball gets tipped, picked up at half court, five seconds to go, like making that shot. The more chaotic stuff is, it was like you slowed down even more and the game went in slow motion. Has it always been like that? Was that, I mean, from the time you played when you're in Inglewood to, to NBA? You know, I just have to say that I think I, I've really been blessed with a gift. Um, you know, just, I think it has something to do with how my life has gone. You know, when things got chaotic, I just found a way, you know, just to, to be better. You know, and it was just like it translated on the court. Um, you know, when the possession loose ball and then I'm able to grab it and concentrate and knock down the shot or in the games make buzzer beaters. It was just like the more chaotic I, it got, the more calmer I got, the more poise that I was able to get. 
because I learned through situations, you know, to just, you know, you have to be calm and, and think out a situation, you know, the more chaotic it gets. If you get chaotic, then it's just like uh, everything goes to hell. And it's just like, you know, I thought I, I learned that once I became calm and I became poised and, and thought the situation through, and it, it was better, you know, for me. When, uh, when we had our arm wrestling contest, KG <laughs> and Baby was absolutely destroying wow. everybody. Wow. Like, what? And I'm not going to say the amount, but why would you bet on KG? Why? If no one, no one thought he was going to win. Everyone took the bet that day. I don't know oh, what right. is it that you know that, that you. I mean, but it, it was it, him and Baby, right? Yeah, it was in reality. Baby should have won every. I mean, right, right. Why would you stand up and oh, say, "I got man. my money on ticket"? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, this is my thing, man. You know, ticket is like a brother to me. It was just like, think about a brother to you, if you if you just got that brother and you know he's like going against this Goliath. It's just like, if this is your brother, you got to go with him, no matter what, even if you think he's going to lose. Did you think he was going to lose? I didn't think he'd beat Baby, but I was just like, man, I'm with him, right? Gotcha. You know, I'm whatever with it him. Whatever it costs, I'm with him. So I'm willing to go down in flames with him. Yeah. So that's what that was all about. It was just like, man, you brought up, so I forgot all about that. I, I, I think that, that, like, that day defined... Kevin, I don't. Yeah. He should not have won. His That's will was so strong. Strong. Actually, they, they tied. They tied, right? Or he? No. He, he, he eventually just stared him down and got him. He wore him out. Yeah. It was I, just like that was a crazy day. The arm wrestling contest. Baby was beating everybody. Then Kevin comes up and wins. It just. I, I had to go, you know, I've been knowing Kevin since we were 14 years old. So I'm like, I gotta go with Kev. <laughs> Oh, that's when the number amazing. goes up, what's, you know, what's, what's that going to be like? Is, is that like the end of it? Like, I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, I mean, you got a lot. You got the Hall of Fame coming. You have, you know, the number going up. That's like, this, these are, there's more steps to your career, you know? And, um, I mean, it, it, how do you think about that? You know, I haven't really put much thought into it, but I know it's going to be really emotional. And I think... Um, the good thing is, is, you know, my kids who are eight, five, and three who really didn't have a chance to see a lot of my career, I think they're going to, like, appreciate it a little more when they see that and they see how the crowd reacts. <clears throat> you know, my son is three. He has no idea right now. <laughs> you know, he, he's in his own world. He plays with cards. He doesn't know that his daddy won a championship, played 19 years in the league. And I think that day when my jersey retires or when I'll be able to go into the Hall of Fame, he's probably going to YouTube me uh, a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube lives in infamy. Right? Yeah, at least, we have, at least we have YouTube. You know, they, they can still, you know, a lot of players in the 70s and 60s, we don't have a lot of footage on them. So, you know, we're fortunate to live in a day of social media and YouTube to where, you know, you can kind of go back and watch it. Paul, do you think that your 34 can go to the Raptors without five beside it? Um, Kevin is is gonna get his jersey retired. he played, you know, he's definitely gonna go up in the Raptors. Do you want to do it individually or together? You know, it doesn't. 
it doesn't matter to me. You know, Kevin, like I say, he's one of my closest friends. He's like a brother to me. If I did it with him, it'd be awesome. If not, when he get his, I'll probably be at his anyway. So <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Uh, you know, we did, I saw you, you were great on, on air during the finals. What's, what's next step? Well, um, I've been putting a lot of thought into it. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about a career maybe in TV analysts. Uh, uh, I've been thinking about basketball operations, you know, maybe with a team. I've talked to some teams even last summer when I was contemplating retirement. So uh, I think, you know, I've developed the right relationships over my career and, you know, talked to the right people to where, you know, I can continue to be involved with the game of basketball at some capacity, um, whether it's talking about it or being a part of operations or even maybe coaching. I put, I've actually for the first time put some thought into coaching uh, this year because I've um, been doing a lot with the young guys and I'm, you know, just I feel like a coach now the way I'm kind of communicating with our vets now and young guys. Um, so if you're, you were a GM and you have two Hall of Famers on your team that won a championship, would you trade them for three unprotected picks? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you feel about being traded. Man, that, that was difficult, man. You know, just being traded. You know, I always thought I'd retire in Boston. And hopefully I still will retire as a Celtic. But um, that was tough, you know. you know. But, you know, we kind of saw the writing on the wall. Danny, you know, talked about it a year before. We had meetings about it. And that just lets you know how much of a business this is. And I think it's going to be a long time before you see one player play for one franchise for 15 plus years. You know, you got me, you got Dirk, Kobe, Duncan, but the way the business is set up now, it's going to be hard to see that moving forward with, you know, you're talking about top quality guys. You see guys like Kevin Durant move on. You see like guys like Dwayne Wade move on. So uh, it's going to be a long time before you see that happen again. Yeah, I, I really thought Dwayne Wade wouldn't have left. That was, that was pretty shocking to me. Um, all right, we're going to go into some three games. No, two games. March 7, 2016, Washington. You finished 31 points, including Celtics last seven. You said afterwards you were going to take the last shot regardless whether they double or triple team you. The video shows Gilbert Arenas and Karan Butler running two guys at you and you knocked down the shot. <laughs> That's probably one of my best game winners, uh, being the circumstances. Uh, it was like a mini rivalry with Washington at the time oh, yeah. because, you know, Gilbert... He's been torching us, and it was like we was getting tired of kind of losing to them down the stretch. You know, um, you know, those were some fiery games in Washington back in the day. So, uh, you know, that's one of my first game winners, actually. Uh, it's not the first one, but it's one of it's one of my first few that I wanted really bad. And going into that. You knew you were going to... I knew I was taking the shot. It was like, it was like, man, I was tired of Gilbert. I was tired of Karan. These guys was talking smack. I was like, I'm taking this no matter what. Win or lose, I'm taking this shot, and I'm going to hit it. If you're on a team with Larry Bird, are you confident taking the last shot? I'm definitely confident taking the last shot, but I'm also confident at, at, at sharing it with him because I have a lot of games where I've actually made the game passing assist uh, for the win. You know, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. I don't have to take the last shot, but that was just one in particular game where I knew I was taking the shot. Yeah. A lot of the games, I don't know. I, I, I plan on taking it, but I always want to make the right play. Speaking of that, you know, when Rondo would go out, 
and you would play point forward or point guard, whatever it may be, basketball player, Paul Pierce. Is that, is that what you really are, just multiple, multiple dimensional player that can run all positions out there? I thought I was, uh, like, early in my career, I was labeled as a scorer, but I always knew that I could, I could just play the game. You know, I started off as a power forward growing up, then went to a, a two guard, then went to a point guard all in high school within four years. So I knew I can I can play multiple positions. I thought because I had such a high IQ as a player that you could put me anywhere and I can play. You know, now the game has changed so much that uh, you look at guys and you see what would be considered 10 years ago called tweeners. You know, I was like a tweener in high school. <laughs> it was like, is he a big man, but he's only 6'5"? Can he play big man in college? And I, early, then I, you know, moved over to the wing. And, uh, you know, my game just kind of just morphed into just being a player, you know, to where I feel like I can play anywhere on the court. Eastern Conference quarterfinals, you scored 37 points, 21 in the third quarter. Everyone still talks about your trash talking with Al Harrington. In the <laughs> You were trash talking and drilled the three pointer with two point six seconds left in the third as you were walking him down, telling him you were gonna shoot the shot. Man, you know I truthfully don't even remember what I was saying. I just remember this is what I do remember. I remember it was Eric Strickland guarding me, and then Al runs over and says, "No, I got him." And then he gets down even lower, and I'm like, "What is going on here?" You know what, man? I'm about to like I probably probably said some. Uh, some crazy stuff to him. I, I felt disrespected by that, actually. And it was just like, we were just drawing back and forth. I forget who was a ref at the time talking about stop talking. And it was just like, all right, you know, I remember pointing, like, I'm about to hit this shot, like, right here. And then I dribble, dribble, then I get to the spot and I hit the shot. And it was just like, you know, that I thought that's what basketball was all about. You know, I grew up watching basketball like that. You know, the trash talk, the playoffs, the, the crowd standing. You know, you don't see that no more. So I do want to. I want to follow that up with. Used to abuse. You know, Tony Allen's one of the best defensive players of all time. Used to abuse him and talk trash all day in practice. See, I think uh, that's what made Tony better. You know, just. But I had him before he matured into that great defense. He was a great defensive player coming out. He was labeled as that. But it was just like you know, I was a pretty good offensive player too. So it was just like good offense always be great defense. You know, always good offense always wins. So it's just like I think with his competitive nature and his skill level on the defense, it made him better. So like people knew he can play defense, but it didn't really get respected until he got to, to Memphis. Well, people don't understand about Tony. He, the reason he was always a great defensive player, but you have to look at it like this: people didn't start recognizing his defense until they got to Memphis. Well, for three straight years. Every day he woke up, he either had to guard me or Ray Allen. <laughs> I mean, if you don't become a good defensive player after doing all of that, then, you know, he, he felt like after that, he could guard anybody in the world because you, you guard two different players. First, you have to chase a guy around multiple screens, so you have to learn that type of defense. Then you have to guard the guy who, who can post up, who can pull up jumper, who can shoot three, who can, who can do it off the dribble, who can do it off the face up. So you have to guard pretty much every facet of a of an offensive player that you can think of in, in those two guys and now he feels like anybody is defensible for him you know Kobe wouldn't change his game as he got older he didn't care he just I'm still gonna shoot all these shots whatever you morphed like all kinds of different ways 
as you got older. And like, and one day Rondo gets hurt, you got to play point guard. You know, like you've, did, was that tough for you to say, I'm not a scorer anymore, I'm going to be off the ball because cause Rondo needs the ball in his hands? Like, was that a hard adjustment or is this, hey, man, we got, we're trying to win. This is what we need to do to win. I mean, I think it wasn't a hard adjustment for me because, like I said, I, I've played without the ball. I played with the ball. I always could do so many different things. I think it just showed more aspects of my versatility. You know, everybody thought he had to have the ball, but then I started showing people I can come off a down screen. I can, I can, I can spot up in the corner and make open shots. You know, I, I can do all those things. I just, you know, I, like I've always said, I just always want to give the game what it needed. And I feel like I can always do that, whether it be with the ball or without the ball. I knew I was always capable of those things. So um, it wasn't a tough transition for me at, at all because growing up, that's, that's the first way I learned to play the game was playing off the ball. And as I got better, I learned to play with the ball. You know, I think that you're the uh, most underrated player of all time. Do you think that, well, you probably don't think that because you probably think you're one of the best players of all time. But you know, like the general media has no idea, you know, like those type of things. You want me playing off the ball, play off the ball. You want me doing a down screen, pick and roll, post up, mid post. Is it's 19 years in, is it, you look back and say, like, does it not matter that people don't think that you're one of the top 20 players of all time? Um, I think I'll get my due when it's all said and done. But, you know, I think what matters most is the people in Boston know. Yeah. And that's all that matters, <laughs> truthfully. So we win the finals, you get finals MVP. You've said that would be one of the best awards to get in all the NBA is NBA finals MVP. What was that like? That was awesome, man. I mean, an MVP award in the, MVP, in the NBA. I mean, you know, you can win the MVP of the season, but to win it in the finals, it's like you're you're the most valuable player on the biggest stage there there can be. And it was just like, man, that was unbelievable just to hold that trophy. And then I remember getting on that that stage and, and just yelling to the top of my lungs. It was just like, wow, I, you know, it was. Hardware, NBA hardware. I never got a piece of NBA hardware. You know, you grow up in high school, you get trophies all the time. College, you get plaques and trophies. But NBA, if you don't make an all-NBA team or win a championship, you don't get no hardware or, or trophy. You don't get a trophy unless you win MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year. You know, NBA hardware is hard to get. And to get a piece of hardware was like, that was like top. Where's it at in your house? It's in my trophy case. Uh in my man cave. Yeah. <laughs> Center stage? Center stage. Center stage. That's Center the one. Stage. Yep. Perfect, Perfect lighting. lighting. Perfect lighting right there. Where, where anybody walk in, you could, that's first, one of the first things you can see. Nice. Um, you know, you passed Larry Bird. I mean, like Larry Bird is Mr. Celtic. I mean, yeah. I mean that, how great is that? Just to pass Larry Bird, that's a great accomplishment. You know, just um, whenever you could just be mentioned in the same name as him. Um, you know, I look, I mean, Bird is... Celtics, Bird, Russell, you know, those guys are who the Celtics are, you know, and it's just to be in the same conversation with them, even for a second, yeah. you know, it, it feels good. Talk about your relationship with the city of Boston. Man, I think my relationship with the city of Boston is like any other long-term relationship. I mean, if you can think about, you know, 
I mean, being in a long-term relationship, you have your ups and downs, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's so much love. It, it's a marriage. It was like once you um, are there for so long, you've been in a relationship for so long, you've been in a city for so long, it's like you become one with that city. And uh, it was hard to leave, you know, because I've engulfed myself into the city. I started to embrace the city of Boston, the things I was able to do in the community the restaurants, the the people I would meet courtside. It was just like, this was like home. <laughs> and when you were there so long, I lived in in Boston longer than I probably lived any city in my life. Uh, you know, even though I grew up in Los Angeles, I lived in Oakland first till I was eight, then left to Kansas when I was 17, and then Boston, 15 years, you know, that's one city I stayed in longer than any other city of my whole life. So it's like I always will have a relationship with the city of Boston and I always will will have a home there and go back there uh, because of those relationships and what I was able to build out there. Do, do people ask you what, what was it like playing there? People all the time ask me. You know, what was it like? And I don't think you truly know if you're on the outside looking in. You know, Boston's always been viewed as like a, a racist city, but it's, it, it's times change and, you know, people love their sports. I mean, it's a huge sports town. And then the guys that are there now currently, they are, they love it. It's like guys like Isaiah Thomas. And, I mean, you see it, you hear how they talk about it. They're like, man, they wish they could have been there sooner. Uh, it, it's one of the great sports towns, and it's also a great city. I mean, great restaurants, the North End, the South End. You know, it, it, it's a, it, it's definitely something you, uh, if you don't know, once you get there and you engulf yourself into the city, you, you learn more about it, you, you come to like, that's why Boston, if you know, people say, what are their top five worst cities in the, in the league? Boston is never on that list. <laughs> and then when you actually play there, you're like, Boston's one of the better cities in the league. Yeah, it's it's it is one of the cities that like in you guys' Clipper games you have celebrity rows. The celebrities are your sports figures. Right. Those are the celebrities. Right. <laughs> they get the restaurants and the front row seats and everything like that. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Paul Pierce. For more great Celtics content, subscribe to the Celtics Talk podcast on iTunes or any of your preferred podcasting apps.